You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. The bongo has this, this pattern of like a darker nose and then it gets to grad. What can they teach us? Yeah, <laughs> out of all your, all your, out of all the animals you worked with, you know the gorillas, the the cats, the everything, the bongo has just blown you away. Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and I'm Angie. Open horns. It's perfect. Hoofs and boom, boom. horns. Yes, I love <laughs> antlers too, but today it's a uh, hoof and horn talking about the bongo. Bingo, bango, bongo. Yes. Yeah, bingo, bingo, bongo in the Congo. I mean, all of that stuff. So. I love it. I love. Did you just make that up? That was I amazing. did. <laughs> I did. Wow. <laughs> From the Congo, the bongo. Man, yeah, no. You must have had your coffee this morning. That's that's incredible. I, I did. I did. Um, yeah. I did have coffee. <laughs> so I'm a little pumped for this one. And, you know, we, 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 we had a week off. So, you know, it's always, it's hard when you skip a week because I just feel antsy like oh i just want to make sure we do an episode a week to, to keep going so we just caught our breath we're gonna hit it hard we've got next month some big species coming in october yes it's Halloween. gonna be fun yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah so you know it's good just to, to, to kick back off with a hoof and horns and one of angie's been bugging for a while to do this one <laughs> yes it's the bongo they're the largest most colorful forest African antelope. So they've got all the bells and whistles. They've got the looks, they've got the horns, they've got the size, they have the personality, which is something I've heard about. And so mm-hmm. I personally, unfortunately, have never worked with bongos. I've worked with a lot of different antelope and deer species, but I think I really missed the boat by not being up close and personal with bongos because I've just heard for people that work hoofstock and have uh, the delights of seeing these guys every day that they are a lot of fun and they're almost mm-hmm. like big cows. And with that being said, John, my husband, his favorite animal of all time, and he's been doing this for working with animals for, I won't even say, cause I don't want to give his age away. <laughs> more than a couple, no. yeah, no, more no, than a couple years, more than a couple yeah, years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and Ariel, that was her name is just his favorite. And he's worked with great apes, Big cats, hoofstock, birds, reptiles, pandas. So, I mean, it really like holds a lot of weight in my brain and my mind. And so now that he's at the Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, they're looking to get more hoofstock because they have really Mm -hmm. nice yards. And I keep begging him for like 10 years to please get (laughs) bongo so I can learn more, like live vicariously and go there and just watch them. And uh, while he's actually working, I'll just go watch them with the kids. Uh, But he will not, he won't do it. And so I want to make like a hashtag, like hashtag Santa Fe College Teaching Zoo, get a bongo or bingo, bango, bongo, congo. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But don't tell him (laughs) that. Oh, this is now, this is now public. So. (laughs) <laughs> but I've just been drawn to them when you look. I've never seen them in Africa because I haven't been uh, to that area of Africa. Mm-hmm. And as as we learn, they're, they're forest animals. They, mm-hmm. they, they hide more. But their color is beautiful. And Chris, you know me. I love horns. Their horns are beautiful. And both males and females have them, which is pretty unique for this uh, genre family of antelope, which I'm sure you'll, you'll talk about in evolution. Mm-hmm. So, and what I learned, and I didn't know this, is one of the subspecies, the eastern or mountain bongo, yeah. is arguably one of the most threatened mammals in Africa. Yeah. Yep. Num- really low numbers, like 140 really or something yeah, like that yep, with the last yep. count. You're right, Angie. And, and there in Florida near us, and we're going to talk a little bit about it here a little bit later, uh, one of our favorite places, a conservation center there that we, we did a little bit of work at and got to visit was working with these critically endangered eastern bongo. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that for sure, because, you know, just a, a huge, important herbivore in Africa and one that just, like you said, people are just like wowed when you see it. I mean, just, just they're amazing. striking. Like what, I mean, they're a cross between their color patterns are, they've got this 
stripes are basically run from their shoulders all the way back. But like, yes, Chris, they're just, they're just so unique. They're their coat pattern. I, I mean, I'm a sucker for a good looking animal. And mm-hmm. this one just has all the bells and whistles. The bongo, their coat color is very beautiful brown, orange, red tone, auburn tones in it. And what really makes them just super striking is that throughout their coat pattern, starting at about their shoulder blades, they have thin white stripes that run all the way around in a circle. Like if you were like cutting them in half. Mm-hmm. And then unlike a zebra stripes or the stripes of an okapi kind of like on its legs, the stripes aren't really close together. There's a couple inches between each stripe and then another one by its withers yeah. and then another one behind its shoulder blades and then through another one through its barrel and then all the way on down to its rear end. And it just is just really unique. Like, And of course, it's probably for camouflage in the dense jungles and things like that, but it's just so cool. And then... The stripe patterns, they also have one kind of white stripe uh, uh, underneath their neck and kind of where their breast or their chest is. Mm -hmm. And then their underside is a lighter color and the inside of their legs. And then they have a really adorable face because they have the typical antelope face. Hoofstock, if you think of of a gazelle with a long, narrow nose and big ears with a little A little bit of fluff in there just to help protect them from flies. Mm -hmm. But then across their nose, I'd almost call it like a noseband in the horse world, they have another white or yellow cream-colored-like stripe that is just stunning and makes their face super unique in the antelope world. Oh, yeah. I mean, even their ears, when I was looking at their ears, I was like, oh, that's almost like the African painted dogs. You know, the ear coloring. just Very the, the, good. Yeah. yeah. You know, the various coloring and just, again, helps them with camouflage. And depending on the subspecies, their faces are darker. Some almost have like more of a black face and then it it's like a fade, like a fade of, I'm not a really good color. I'm painting walls and I'm learning that I'm not. <laughs> my color palette, interior design is like, yes, I don't yes. have a bone in my body that's good at that. Yeah. And so everybody's like, oh, well, this is... Of course, my dear friend Anna is like, you need warm tones to match warm tones and like, uh, cool tone. I'm like, can you speak? Can you just show me, you know? Yes, uh, yes. But the bongo has this this pattern of like a darker nose and then it gets gradually lighter as it moves into their head and then sometimes down their neck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, they have a very unique, not a, really a dorsal stripe like we see in some of... Uh, the horses and things like that, but they have dorsal hair that sticks up. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's it's like they have a little roached mane that runs from like their withers or the where their shoulder blades meet across their whole back. It's like a little teeny tiny mohawk, which is just it's cute, it's adorable, really cute. right? Yeah, it's really cute. It's really cute, and just you know, size wise. So Angie said they're 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 enormous, and for I guess we can talk more when we get to behavior too. Being a forest antelope you wouldn't think these big ones would would move around as much but anyways up to four and a half feet or 1.3 meters at the shoulder over 10 feet long like right that's that's why people the the keepers say they're almost like big cows to work with yeah they're big they're big Mm -hmm. females can weigh over 500 pounds or 235 240 kilograms males almost a thousand pounds or 400 to oh that's how i like them big Big and round, oh, big. yes. The, yes. the boys are big, and then obviously the favorite is the horns. And I'm just gonna let you do. Do you want to describe the horns? Or I can't. I mean, the size of the horns. The size can be thirty to forty inches long, or up to hundred centimeters long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the, that's, the horns are Angie's. That's Angie's domain. I know. I just love them. I love them so much. Well, they're in the spiral horn antelope family. And so when you think of spiraled horn, I've been blessed a few times to see kudu, uh, the greater kudu in Africa, which that's spiral like DNA. I mean, spiral. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these ones are not as circular in their spiral, but they definitely have a twist to them where they kind of twist outward towards their ears and then roll inward towards each other. I just, that was a horrible description. I apologize. But... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Hopefully by now you've uh, pulled up a an image or been curious about how just how beautiful they are because I'm not doing it justice. 
they're just really good, good looking horns. If you know anything about horns, <laughs> I, I love them yeah. all though. I, I shouldn't any everywhere from the, the Oryx, to the Takin. But the cool thing, like I said too, is that the females have them as well. And they're usually not quite as la- large and uh, thick, but they definitely still have them, which is once again, you don't see that in a lot of antelope species. The sable antelope, which we've covered, mm-hmm. they, the females mm-hmm. have them as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And But there is, of course, like, but just as Chris mentioned, there is a little bit of that sexual dimorphism as far as males being overall bigger than females. And that is also seen in their horns as well. Right, right. Now, before we run off and describe the range, we got so excited. Angie jumped right into the description. We got to say thank you to a couple of people for <laughs> Patreon this month. So, which is fine. I, I can tell Angie always whenever we do Hope and Horns, it's, it's an exciting podcast. So real quick, I have to say a big thank you to Chelsea S and Var D for joining Patreon this month. So thank you very much. I have to say organization of the month we were going to do too. So Coral Restoration Foundation definitely was overwhelming. Uh, everybody voted on that. So we sent money to them. Yay! And it was close. I still sent money to the Pacific Marine Mammal Center just because that was close to home. So I yes. just did that on the side. Of but course. the Australian Marine Conservation Foundation came in second. So they do a lot will... of good work. Yay! Yeah. And also the Sloth Conservation Foundation came in at third and i was like oh i've got it i'll just tell everybody uh i'll be interviewing their director here in this coming up uh, week so she's down in costa rica we've been emailing back and forth and she's tracking sloths right now so i get to to interview her from the field so anyways but thank you You're, you're helping support conservation and you're helping support our mission to educate as many people around the world on all these animals and conservation issues yeah, like I always say too, if you don't have a dollar to spare, I totally understand, especially now times are really hard, but you do have 10 seconds or 20 seconds to spare. And if you could give us a review on iTunes, that would be awesome. That helps get our numbers up there as far as how we're viewed and how frequently we're viewed. And big thanks this week to Chelsea Steele for giving us a warm, wonderful, amazing review, which I just love reading. So thank you, Chelsea. And then our buddy, your buddy, Mike Bona. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> he came through for you. He gave us a yeah. glowing review, and uh, he's a dear friend of ours, and we actually yeah. need to go visit him again and, or have him on the podcast again, maybe do a roundtable. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, down at LA Zoo. So, uh, hey, Mike. Yeah, we've been going back and forth. On Love Instagram. you, buddy. He, Thank you. Yeah, he loved the Mandrill episode. So, uh, so range, Angie. We, we, we talk about rainforest, dense forest, savanna forest. It made me think of, you know, the forest elephants that we talked about, you know, same, similar range. Congo, the Republic of Congo, Central African Republic, Southern Sudan, you know, those areas. Then there's a break going out even further west into Africa, where you get into Gabon, Ghana, Guinea, that region. Mm-hmm. So that's the one species we're going to talk about. And then yeah, we that's, go... That's the lowland or western bongo, right, which bongo. makes sense because it's on the western part of Africa. Right. Then we go to Kenya and we have these critically endangered mountain or eastern bongo that we're going to talk a little bit about today too. So, you know, but the, the highlands, right? The highlands of Kenya... You went. You were in Tanzania, not Kenya, right? Yes, I was supposed yeah. to go to Kenya to do a research project uh, with grubby zebras. Uh, mm-hmm. Lincoln Park Zoo was sending me, but there was some unrest there. This was probably about ten years ago. There was some civil unrest there, and so we decided to scratch that plan. And I went. I went into Tanzania into Terengere National Park, which is just beautiful, uh, to to look at a, do wildebeest counts, and uh, which is really fun. They, wildebeest have stripes on them. And with that project, it was neat. We would take photos of the animals when we were out all day long and sex them. And you would take a, a photo aim for their like head and shoulder blade area because they had really unique stripes. And mm-hmm. just like zebras, each wildebeest has a distinct pattern. And so the software would try to either add a new individual to the count or see if it can match up with one that's already been counted. So it was a really fun trip, but I I did miss out on going into Kenya 
which is definitely on my bucket list because yeah. I need to go – because I'm dying to go to Lewa, uh Conservancy, which is where the Grevies are. And mm. I'm not sure if they have the Mountain Bongo, but it looks like it's pretty close by as, as far as if you already are that far over visiting in Kenya just to maybe see if we can check out some mount, Mountain Bongo. So Yeah, yeah. On the bucket list for sure. I know, Angie. I'm always I'm always jealous of all your trips. When you're a zookeeper, it's just amazing. It's amazing. And as a graduate student, when your wonderful professor sent you over, well, you weren't even a grad student. You, you did it. Never mind. You were you were graduated. You were my colleague, my, yes. my podcast partner. Yeah, uh, I, I try I Africa. try to go. It just really fills me up. Uh, I know. I don't get to go as much as I used to when I was younger, uh, as I have a lot more responsibilities these days. But yeah, pretty soon, hopefully, I'll be able to incorporate my kids into the travel. We'll see. Yeah, 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 yeah. You'll get there. You'll get there. All right. So, why care? I, I think are we bringing in a special guest about why care? <laughs> yeah. Do you have anything to say? I mean, I, I, I would say you know, looking at what scientists say about the ecological importance, from what I've read, was it's hard because they're so not secretive. It's just hard to to study them, right? Sure. When we get to behavior, there's a few gaps in it, or we know. A lot of it will be like, oh, well, we know this from studying them under human mm-hmm. care. But yes, what is known of them in the forest kind of reminded me of Okapi, where mm-hmm. there's some some holes and some gaps as far as our knowledge of what they do. Because, yeah, they can be yeah, – and they're, they're hiding in the forest and they're not super wanting us to see them. So – but in the zoo world, they're out and about and they have a ton of personality. Mm-hmm. And I – I can't speak for everybody else, but but for me, I fell in love with the bongo just from hearing about what it was like to work with them. Yeah. So I think that that's why we'll bring our special guest on and we'll see if if he can work his magic on all the public. <laughs> yes, let's see. Let's see. All right. So I want to welcome back John, our expert. How's it going, buddy? <laughs> so, it's good to see you again. Good to hear from you yeah, again. Yeah, but... It's been a few episodes since we've had you back on. It's, yeah, I'm, um, I'm always happy to contribute. Yeah, no, no. But Angie, and I know for a while we've been talking about this episode, and you did mention it in the last one we had you on. I can't even remember what species we were covering. Yeah. But you were talking about the bongo, and I said, okay, we're going to we're gonna cover the bongo. It was like yeah. a few months back. And Angie was saying, out of all the animals, and I still can't believe panda is not your favorite. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of all your, all your, out of all the animals you worked with, you know the gorillas, the the cats, the everything, the bongo has hippos. just blown you away. Yeah, hippos. Oh, yeah. I know hippos. Yeah. Still your favorite. Yeah. Still species, my favorite species, but, but individual animal and yeah. as a species, they are just they're just incredible and fantastic. And you know, there's a lot of unique features which I know you guys are talking about to this species. Um, but I think some of it is they're they're so large. They are so dynamic looking, you know, they've got this incredible um, rack on their head. The females have these spiraled, uh, these spiraled uh, horns and the males have this humongous rack and it's just incredible. They're so huge. And they really were one of the last large species to be discovered because they are so elusive and they're so great at doing what they're doing, which is hiding basically in the middle of a thick forest. But an enormous animal. Um, So I love that about them, that they're this elusive kind of forest antelope. So a couple of really great things that I personally just love about them. And and I'll talk about my individual stories, but the bongo antelope really showed me how all these individual animals, regardless of what animal it is, has their own unique personality. And I, I don't mean as a species, as a species, they have, they have, certain things that make them unique. But as an individual, I really got to learn about these individual animals. And, you know, everybody, of course, is captured by lions and and, and tigers and polar bears, and elephants, and we are as well. And it's Mm -hmm. easy to look at those animals and say, wow, they're amazing. But to work with this bongo antelope that is, is, they are striking. I think their coloration is striking, their size. But to, to work with this antelope that most people disregard antelopes and see how incredible they are as individuals and how fun and interesting and personable they are, that's what really struck, struck me. And that's what 
I love about working with animals and getting having had the opportunity to work with animals is I get to really form individual relationships with these animals. And you guys, all the listeners out there, that's I think what you love about these animals too is you understand that they are greater than the parts. They're greater than just being species. They are individuals out there in the world existing and they have their personalities and you can fall in love with those personalities. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So my, my stories about my, of course, my, my favorite girl is, is mm-hmm. Ariel, my favorite species, my favorite individual animals, Ariel. She's a bongo antelope that I worked with for a number of years. And, um, you know, on a kind of a, a number of different reasons. And one of my first real introductions to her, we, um, so we, you get a new species into a zoo, you have to quarantine them. So that means they have to be essentially apart from all the other um, individuals of the same species. So just in case they have something, a disease or something like that, they don't transfer it to the rest of the animals in in that um, facility. And so she was quarantined and it was great and everything worked out. She's totally healthy. Everything's fine. But when we went to move her from the quarantine facility down to the barn where she actually was going to, where she was going to hang out, um, we had to, we had to get her into a trailer and, you know, these aren't like horses. They're not used to trailering up and you just move them mm-hmm. along. And like I said, she's big. Uh, she stands pretty close to six foot like me. Um, and I don't know, she was like. 250 pounds or something like that. They're, yeah, they're yeah. pretty big. They're beefy. Yeah, they're big. Yeah. So um, you can't just ask them to go in the trailer. We didn't have the time to do operant conditioning at the time, so I couldn't train her into the trailer. So myself and my coworker, Ken, Ken is bigger than me, taller than me. He's probably your size. He's, a, he's, he's like six foot two or six foot four mm-hmm, or something. Mm-hmm. Huge guy. We go in there. We have herding boards. We have big plywood boards to move her into the trailer. And we go and we have the door open to the barn. The trailer's backed up to it. We're moving the boards and she just wants to get you know away from us. But she's just walking and strutting and not really like running. And she just walks towards the trailer. Well, but we essentially get her to a point where Ken and I are standing directly next to each other with the boards. And we have her in a spot that is no bigger than pro- probably a four by four spot for a humongous mm-hmm. antelope. She right. can only do one thing. She can only go into the trailer. There's no place else to go. Or so we thought. All she yeah. did was crouch down. So she like a cat, she put her, her her butt sort of towards the ground and she literally jumped over Ken and I from a standing <laughs> position, not a running position. So she got a yeah. six foot jump over our heads. And all she did, she she behind us, she didn't stick the landing. She did roll, but she rolled onto a yeah. shoulder and then just stood up. And she was now behind us and just looking at us. And Ken and I <laughs> looked at each other and we took our boards and we got out of there real quick. And it was just, it just shows you the, the, that animals will surprise you and they will, yes. they have amazing abilities and they can use them if they want. And she has this incredible rack and she certainly could have, she was behind us now. She could have just put it down and tried to, you know, stick it yeah, to us, yeah. but yeah. she didn't. Yeah. She just like wanted to be away from us. Like, I'm not going in the trailer, so I'm just going to go over your head. Um, <laughs> so it was incredible. So we had to regroup and we had to s- put on top of our herding boards, which were about five foot herding boards. We could look over them. We had better put on top of them plastic, a rigid plastic that made them about 12 to 14 feet tall so that <laughs> she then couldn't jump over those and she had no choice but to go in the trailer. And that's what she did. She, we went in there with those and she was like, oh, okay, I'll just go in the trailer. Uh, game's you know, over, yeah, okay, game's yeah, over. Yeah. But it was, just, yeah. and I think that was, it was a game to her. It was, and that just really uh, put me in awe about the species and the individual. And, and for her personally, um, she was just, she was so intelligent and she was so funny mm. and she was just, charming and i know usually these are the characteristics i talk about angie but uh yeah this is ariel you know and and it is i sometimes i I think and and you know it's it's a good thing i didn't have to you know choose between angie and ariel because it would have been uh it would have been a tight (laughs) i mean you know it's like because people think hoofstock and you know i've worked around a lot of hoofstock that they they don't have personalities or just like a dumb eating grass or or leaves all day ruminate yeah and that's all they do, but yeah. they're, they're much more intelligent than that. Much right? more intelligent. And, yeah. and, and again, they have adapted years, just like the predators. We always marvel at the predators, but they've adapted for years to be able to survive and survive those predators mm-hmm. and survive uh, and hide when appropriate and flee when appropriate. And so that's what's incredible about them. I, I exactly agree. I think they are given, in general, hoofstock antelope. Mm-hmm. They're given a poor 
poor um, uh, script by the by the yeah. public because they're just not yeah. as charismatic and outgoing. But that's my message to you. That's my story to you. Is that these animals are incredibly charismatic and incredibly outgoing. And again, I've had the luck, the good fortune of getting to to know them and learn about them as individuals. And when that happens, they stick with you forever and you will never look at them the same way. And they're just incredible. You know, there were, there were days when she wouldn't want to go out. She just wouldn't want to go out of the barn and she just, she would just find some other thing in her stall in the barn that she would think would be more important than going outside. And you could chalk that up to like, oh, well, she just didn't, you know, she was dumb and didn't know what she was doing. She knew exactly what she was doing. She knew exactly how to stall to, to, to slow down the, the shifting mm-hmm. to go outside at any moment that she wanted to. And again, as I talked about, she is a huge animal. I learned I couldn't hurt her, hurt her if I, if I wanted to, she just jumped over my head, but that's where you learn to work with her. That's the value of operant conditioning training mm-hmm. and uh mm-hmm. and again that that honestly helped with my uh, relationship with her as as well and that helped me learn about her personality as well just an incredible incredible animal we i worked with a male as well he was incredible and and they are um they're also striking species because they're known to be fairly docile and they are they're huge but they're fairly docile but the males can be quite territorial and oh, yeah. they have they are big the males are mm-hmm. uh four. pounds yeah. yeah i was gonna say i think he was yeah. i think he was 600 pounds or something like that so yeah, he, yeah, he yeah. was pretty big and um and so they've got this huge rack and they can use it when they want to and, and normally they just kind of send messages but if they if you go in with them and they're not in a good mood um oh, yeah, yeah. They, they can they can put their hurt on you you know so yeah they're an impressive species to just get lots of a, a, a great overall understanding of how magical animals really are. And I mean, I know it's an odd term to use for like, it's a scientific program and I'm a scientist and you're a scientist, yeah, 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 yeah. but they truly are just awe inspiring. They just, when you, uh, you know, clearly I'm captured by them and I'm captivated by them. But when I look at them and when I get to interact with them, they just really, they, they stole my heart and, and, uh, and I value the time that I, got to work with them and I value the Mm -hmm. time that I now get to talk about them and spread um, the words about them. And just like every other species, like why do they matter? Why should we care? Yeah. Because they are an incredible species that has existed for hundreds of thousands of years. We probably don't even know how long. And again, it took until the 1900s before they were discovered. And so you have the species that's done an amazing job of of evolving, of of existing, and of hiding, and mm-hmm. why are we the ones to say that they shouldn't be in existence anymore? And why I should know. our actions move them to a spot where they aren't in existence, or they are threatened, or they are endangered? You know, and we should care about them because they do incredible things, and they are incredible animals, and there's. And here's here's the fun part, and this is what I also love about learning about animals is sometimes you don't know the specific niche and role that they may have, yeah. And you may That's not, and you may not until they're gone. You know, we're learning yeah. more and more about this about rainforest species that are being wiped out, and learn about medicinal purposes and medicinal, you know, uh, seed dispersal and propagation of plants and all this stuff, the integrated web that is our ecosystems. And for me, that's mm-hmm. that's the point. It's like a game of Jenga, right? You pull enough pieces out, your 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 tower can still stay. But if yeah, you pull the yeah. wrong one out, everything topples. And you know, how do we know if 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 Bongo end, that's not the last piece to topple? But you know, again, I I uh I really appreciate getting an opportunity to talk to them, talk about no, them. No, no. Uh, I, I appreciate it. I was going to say, it's good because we, you know, we did before you came on, I, I told Angie, we really don't know what, how the bongo affects the ecosystem. Obviously, it's a large herbivore. They, they have some impact. Mm-hmm. But when you were talking about that, it, it, a couple weeks ago, we released the interview with Dr. Enric Sala from National Geographic. And he talked about, yeah, I mean, you're right. I, I just go back to that interview. It, it's one of another example. Like mm-hmm. we always talk about the wolves in Yellowstone. Yep. 
he was talking about the studies that showed when we took out sea otters, yep. that meant sea urchins just proliferated like crazy and took out all the kelp for us. Yep. So you're right. You take out the bongo. That's a major species. That's not a little tiny. I mean, even the tiny species have big impacts, right. but that's a, t- it's that's a, a hu- major it's, species. It's a huge. And, you know, again, yeah. if nothing else, it provides food for carnivores. You know, I mean, there's mm-hmm. there are mm-hmm. lots of different things that can happen. And we just don't know. And we have to value all of them. I mean, you can't say this one's more important than this one. And again, I know that's Pollyanna of me to to save them all. But we do. We have to save. We have to keep entire ecosystems intact Intact. if we want to make this stuff happen. You know? And so the conservation organizations out there, yes, the ones that are dealing with specific species, they're great because they do shine a light on that. But... There are also organizations that are looking at entire ecosystems and mm. the importance of all of them, and and how do we support those organizations as well? And that's that's what I'm looking for from from. I mean, you two keep it alive every day, but that's what I'm yeah. looking for from the listeners. Is you know, yeah. how do you help? And again, I know we're all trying to get through our daily lives. I know we're all trying to just do what we can to keep stuff together, but yeah. just take little steps, just little steps every day to try to keep these, these, um, ecosystems alive, well, and proliferating and, and you'll get to help save these incredible animals. You'll get to help save bongos in the wild, you know, the, the yeah, wild cousins yeah. of, of Ariel and, and bingo that I worked with bingo bongo. Yeah. You did. So we opened a bingo, bingo, bongo in the Congo. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, you, anything else to add about them or, uh, no, I'm good, yeah. but I just, okay. you know, again, I want to thank you guys for, Always let me crash your party. You guys have always have so much fun together. So it's always good to to, to get in here and contribute where I can, where I have the ability to contribute. But um, thanks again for everything you guys do. And thanks to listeners for listening and, and helping to support. Now, John, it's, it's always fun to have you on. It's always a treat, especially with your, your personal experience. So so thank you. So we know pandas are one, bongos number two good. for all your students out there. You got, they got to go back to the panda episode good. to learn about that one. But yeah. Final question, though. I have to ask this. Somebody told me to ask you. I don't know she she might live in your house. I mean, I guess it's there's three boys, or a man and two boys. <laughs> the, the one female, the one female so in your house. The dog. It was the dog or one of the cats. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Ask me. Why aren't you getting bongos at, at your zoo? <laughs> so she can go and help and watch them. <laughs> it's so true, and so a lot of it relates back to that that fun story that I told you about yeah. jumping uh, jumping six feet from a standing position. Is that yeah. that's just that's just standing. Um, <laughs> imagine if they got a running start. So then I have to contemplate. You know, how large of of, of an enclosure do I have to have? How tall yeah, of an enclosure do I have to have? The other thing is, um, this, it's actually a really great question. We have to consider uh, our brand new zookeepers, and as docile as mm. these guys do seem, um, when they have bad days, again, that much poundage can put a hurt on you. And so right, I right. would want them to be shifted. I would want them to go into a barn and go out of a barn. And mm-hmm. uh, we just don't have that facility right now. And the last thing, of course, we always got to think about um, the environment. And um, here the temperatures are a little bit high for them. So they mm-hmm. are forest-dwelling antelope, nice uh, 75-degree, 60-degree all the time. They, they thrive really well in that once it gets up into the 80s and 90s. Does it, they don't do Central so well. Florida. Yep, yeah, Central, Central Florida. Yep, Central Florida. Hot. So hot, it's hot. hot so hot, as hot. much, yep. again, you know, my, you know, I've already proclaimed my love for them. So, um, you know, that's not what's keeping keeping them <laughs> back. But we always got to make good decisions based on yeah. uh, lots of yeah. different criterion factors. But yeah, animal. They're, they're always they're they're critical. always in the back of my mind and they're always in my heart. So. All right. All right. Well, I'll pass the message on. <laughs> that, I'm glad somebody. I'm glad somebody will. Thanks, Chris. All I right. appreciate it. Thanks, John. Take care. All right. See ya. Sorry, you're not getting bongos. <laughs> it's, it's, you're a dream crusher too. I know. He just. I said I'd pass the message on to the uh, the little bird that asked me to ask that question. So, <laughs> he's like, it's too hot, and we don't have the facilities. So. Uh, I know yeah. they can jump. They're jumpers, but yeah, I know, I know. Still, I just want to yeah. lay with one or next to one. <laughs> oh, John wants to do a vocalization op. I don't even know what they sound like, so you'd win. <laughs> oh, that's who- <laughs> oh, but whoever can be quieter, then I think you would win. Uh, John wins. John wins. Yeah, I can win. <laughs>
<laughs> John wins that one. Yeah, that one. That one. That one. yeah yep, enjoy. It's few and far between, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, Angie, uh, with John on, you know, I'm going to make this quick. We've talked about the Congo, Central Africa, some of the issues there. Uh, I still think, you know, if you haven't heard Dr. Daniela Chuseed, Force Elephants, episode 158, fascinating, fascinating interview. Oh, yeah. About- it's so good. It's, and, and Chris, I was just looking at it the other day. And uh, actually, that interview is one of our top 10 most downloaded episodes so far, uh, ever. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Nice. I love it. I love it. It was such so a nice interview. And then uh, episode 155, Bonobos. I also talk about the Congo there, the mandrills last week. Again, we're in like Central Africa lately. But going to Kenya, the mountain bongo, like we talked about, critically endangered, low population, you know, 140 total in the wild, if that, uh, less than 80 adults, you know, five separate subpopulations. You know, this is in Mount Kenya, the Maasai Mau Forest Complex. Uh, the Mau Forest, uh, Alberdare Mountains. So that's where they're they're at. So and they're declining. I mean, because of same things, you know, in almost every species: illegal hunting, bushmeat trade, logging, diseases, loss of habitat. I do want to shine a bright light to a project in Florida where Conservation Center, one that we've talked about before, White Oak, uh, they're one of the, the leaders in the world that are preserving critically endangered species. They have had a big baby boom in the last couple of years. So it's called the Baby Bongo Baby Boom. So I'll say that fast. <laughs> no, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So, you know, we, we actually did work with them before we even started the podcast and just one of my, our favorite places on earth. And they're they're working hard. There, there are people behind the scenes. And I know one of the organizations, the organization you're going to talk about today, we'll, we'll save it for the end. They're fighting hard. So, you know, with John coming on, talking about not only how awesome these animals are, how important they are ecologically, you know, there are people out there fighting for them. So that leads me to my 32nd evolution talk now. I'll make it quick. <laughs> so this isn't super long. Yeah, and it's it's pretty similar across bovids you know we've done this in in a bunch of episodes 20 million years bovids have been around you know first coming out in eurasia and africa's little small antelope not anything like the bongo and the first one was actually atragus it was about the size of a thompson's gazelle Mm -hmm. so looking specifically at bongo like like john said he, he even said these animals have been around for hundreds of thousands of years. Absolutely. We don't know their evolutionary history, similar to mandrill a couple weeks ago, because they are these forest-dwelling animals and we don't have a lot of fossils. But we can trace their oldest relative back about 4 million years ago. Okay. So, you know, they've been around quite a while. The, these animals aren't, aren't new to the scene. Now, classification tells us a little bit more. So the family's Bovidae, subfamily is Bovinae, which the Bovini is our bison, buffalo, you know, those types, the cows, the cattle. And the other genus is Tragalaphus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good job. Yes. So these ones are fun. This is like, this is one of Angie's, like, got to be one of your favorite genre of animals. So not only the bongo, you have in this genre, the greater kudu, yes. the lesser kudu, yes. yeah, the bush buck, mm-hmm. the nyala. Yes. Have you heard that one? Okay. The mm-hmm. sitatunga. Okay. I'm saying yes. these right. Mm-hmm. You the are. Cool. I think so. Yeah. And the what mountain was What was the last nyala. one? The, the cool? The k- yeah. K-E-W-E or something like that. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen those, but. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the the mountain Nyala. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now, the bongo's closest relative is the Sitatunga. And then, yeah, but I mean, still, they're all of the same genre. So they're, they're, they all have a Yeah, bushbuck, I've been blessed enough to see a lot of those. In fact, I have fond memory, memories with John and Allison yeah. sitting in uh, 
North Luanga in Zambia, a park that wasn't mm-hmm. even open to people at the time. But of course, Allison with her amazing uh, behind oh, the scenes amazing, yeah. rhino translocation, she got us in there. And yeah, we would just sit and have coffee on our little porch of the little hut we were staying in and just watch the bush buck. And they're really cute because they actually are grayish, brownish in color, but they have a white circle around their butt. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> it's just, I don't know. They're just pretty charming. It's amazing memories. Yeah, they have that. they have a char- the charming hind in. And so you just, yeah. just giggle at them because they look so, from the front end, they're like all business. But in the back, it's like a party. So uh, <laughs> anyways, but that makes sense. Right. So that makes sense that they're related to bongos because bongos are pretty cool too. Right. And then Angie, the, the species name is Tragolaphus ursaris. Okay, and then like you said, there's two species that we opened up with. So the western or lowland bongo is Trachylaphus eucerus eucerus, and then the mountain or the eastern bongo is Trachylaphus eucerus isaaci. I think it's mm-hmm. Isaac has named it somebody. <laughs> yeah. Isaac. So Isaaci is how 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 uh, it was spelled. And Chris, I think it's important to note we've highlighted about the eastern or mo- mountain bongo that it is critically endangered with very few individuals left in the wild. But I think it's really important too to make note of the fact that the western or the lowland bongo, they're not out of the woods. Pardon the pun. Sorry. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're near threatened. So, and and that's based on the most recent count, which was which was a little while ago. So, with everything happening in those regions. If they're near threatened, I don't think their populations are booming uh, up to least right, concern. Right. So we need to keep an eye on both of these species. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like we talked about, it's, it's a large herbivore that's very important. Now, Angie, we've talked a lot about horns before, obviously, in all the podcasts. So there's so more just, to talk about then, right? No, no, I just, <laughs> I found some obscure, I was looking up like horn species and we've done the biggest horns and, you know, we've done all that. So I just found something unique. And it's called the horned crocodile. <laughs> this thing's just bizarre. Cute. <laughs> so, I've heard of a horned frog a, before, but not a crocodile. Yes, yes, yes. We'll do. Well, we're going to do the the horned frog. Is that the one with the uh, that squeezes the blood out of its eye? I remember one of the. Kids that's that the that's the lizard, the uh, lizard, North American okay. horned lizard. Yes, they, there you go. Okay, their okay. self defense mechanism is squirting blood out of their eyes. And I learned this from my ten year old buddy Eli on when I was. Uh, this past summer when I was covering kids uh, and interviewing them. Yeah. During lockdown. It was amazing. It was amazing. So anyways, the horned crocodile, I just, if you, you know, I love talking about these obscure species that are extinct, lived in Africa 2 million years ago, ate early humans. Homo sapien wasn't around then, but our, our earlier ancestors, Mm -hmm. poor things, Uh, 16 foot plus, but they had these two very prominent horns over their ears. So the bigger the croc, the bigger the horns. It was just crazy. I thought, oh, a horned crocodile. So I thought I had to talk talk about it. In, in, in an herbivore episode, I had to bring in a horned crocodile. So I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, and I mean, I could obviously go on and on about these horns because they are beautiful being in that genre with the elands and the kudus and the bushbuck. And they, yeah, they just have the spiral nature to them. And if you're just tuning in, you haven't heard us talk about Antlers. I think I did a whole podcast just on antlers physiology. Reindeer episode, <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> oh, so fun. The glory days. But keep in mind, too, that uh, when the difference between horns and antlers is if you have a horn, like that crocodile or, or whatever, uh, or these antelope species, you have them for life. And so they don't regrow. If you break them off, I, I w- once worked with a sable. Uh, Georgia, Georgie Porgy Puddin' Pie, her antlers were broken and they didn't grow back. She had two little stubbies that stuck out. Uh, luckily, mm-hmm. she broke them before, like the blood barrier, the blood supply. Otherwise, it would have been real ugly and they don't survive that. But antlers, this time of year, as we're coming into fall, male deers are going to start shedding their velvet and that's the case that the antlers grow in it's called velvet but it's like skin with a little bit of fur on it and that helps nourish the bone the antler bone that is growing and then they basically rub it out rub their antlers the males female deer don't have antlers uh unless they're reindeer since you gotta listen to the podcast for that because they're unique about that yep, 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 uh yep. but 
Yeah, they rub it. They rub off the skin, this velvet, and expose bone, uh, and then they fight the male, and then they will drop their antlers not too long after they score a female and breed her. Uh, and so it's crazy. I mean, anybody who's ever been to an old lodge before or something like that with hunters that put the big antlers up or whatever uh, can see how big those racks are, if you think of like a moose or something like that. And then, yeah, those deer species – regrow them every year, which is why I spent half of an episode talking about how they do that because it's so, in nature, it's such a phenomenon to have that second, it's called a sec- secondary sexual characteristic because they need them, but they don't need them type to reproduce. They they help, antlers help fight off other males just to win the female over, but they don't actually, they're not actually part of the reproduction process. And it's just a phenomenon in nature that these poor deer go to such extreme to grow these things every year, these huge I know, racks, I know. where the antelope species, like here in the United States, we have the pronghorn. That's another one we, re- we really need to cover those will, guys. Talk about will, talk about will. jumping Woo-wee. I know, and speed. They're really fast, yeah. too. Yeah. They're like the second or third fastest land mammal, right? Yeah, like yeah. Second. Let's let's put that on the list. I just thought about yeah, that. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but anyways, these antelopes, these bongos, these kudos, things like that, bushbuck, they have their horns for life, and mm-hmm. uh, and they grow them. And, and the horn, though, is is a little bit different than how I was talking about antlers. The bongo horn is hollow on the outer layer, and that that area is made up of keratin. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing with rhino horn is made out of, or your fingers, fingernails, yeah, toenails, yeah. your hair, things like that. Um, and so, and then once again, too, the the females are going to have a little bit more shorter thinner and a little bit straighter. They don't have as much curve and twist or spiral to their horn as the male's going to have. But they're just beautiful. They're beautiful. And uh, both males and females will use them when they need to. But in general, uh, they're just fun to look at. (laughs) That's for sure. Oh, yeah. They're amazing. They're amazing. I mean, they're amazing. And, you know, just some other quick factoids, because I'm glad you covered that, because I was going to definitely ask you to, to once again explain Horns versus antlers. It's and if you ask my four-year-old, he knows the difference. Yeah. Yeah, of course he does. Of course he does. Next podcast we do, we'll have him come yeah, on and explain we'll it. Yeah, we'll quiz Zach. That'll be fun. Yeah. So uh, bongos live, you know, 20, 22 years on average. You know, so that's pretty standard for, for hoof stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't be preyed upon by Unless you're my horse, life. Rosie. If you're my horse, Rosie, <laughs> she's still it's rocking 15. it out at 35. Yep, yep. And we covered uh I remember Przewalski horse when I covered that. The oldest living horse was like fifty-three. Yeah. <laughs> You're yeah. just like, what? Wow. That's yeah. yeah, wow. I don't know if she'll make it that long, but uh she's enjoying her Florida retirement, that's for sure. Yeah, no, 35 is so that's great for a horse. Uh so predators, hyenas, leopards, lions, things that eat them, and then bongos in turn eat and prey upon plants. So they eat leaves, you know. They're gentle giants. That's why I want one. Yes. Fruits, flowers, Mm -hmm. bark, grass, cereal grains, whatever they can get is is what they I'm such a dork, Chris. And I've obviously spent so much time around hoofstock that I just heard them when you visualize them like eating flowers and like munching on it. And I could hear (laughs) that really zen crunch that zen crunching, that circular munching crunching. That's that's like my happy spot. Yeah, yeah, so funny. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, just in the forest would be it would be amazing to see them. Uh, some some interesting factoids too is you know bongos will eat burnt wood because they need minerals. Interesting. So they're always looking for salt sources, mineral licks mm-hmm. because you know they need it that they don't get it from their diets. You know, it, it's amazing, Angie. There's they have so many similarities they'll copy. So they have like that that crazy what prehensile tongue? Yeah, that helps them reach the different grasses and leaves or flowers like you mentioned. So I think that probably evolved in the forest, right? You need to be able to reach mm-hmm. high and low, not just graze on the ground, but grab those leaves, right? Similar to giraffes, got to reach up high and grab leaves. And when you're in a forest situation, that comes in really handy, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I get to see giraffes doing it. You're right, in a copy, you know, after feeding them uh, before. So, like we said, these are secretive animals, and you, and you led into it with behavior. There's just not a lot known, right? No, there's not as much as a, 
a gazelle or right. other species that we may, or sable antelope, maybe other species that we've covered. But what we do know is that during the day, they're going to typically be concealed in the forest. So they're not trying to come out and graze then, which is when most scientific researchers or behavioralists are doing their studies. So they're not out at that time. And But when they do come out is at nighttime, and that's when they're going to try to find those natural salt licks and, of course, graze on grasses and herbs and leaves and whatever they can find. And there are reports of them coming out a little bit during the day, maybe at dusk and dawn, depending on how their foraging was going in the evening. And so so some behaviorists will classify them as having crepuscular behavior, which is the dusk and dawn, uh, but mostly nocturnal uh, and probably depends on what region they live in. They are shy, which is similar to okapi, right? So they're, when whenever I talk about hooves and horns, I always, it's different than, so different than working with horses because horses are your typical flight animal. You scare them and they want to run in the other direction. And it was just such a unique experience working at the zoo and working with like, let's say sable antelope or Arabian oryx, which are much, much smaller, uh, goat Mm -hmm. size, if you will. But they have horns, and if they were scared, instead of turning tail and going the other way, they actually came at you or at whatever was scaring them. It's called fear Mm -hmm. aggression. So when they feel threatened because they have those awesome horns, which horses don't have, they know how to use them, and they will use them. And so with bongos, what it sounds like from what I'm understanding, with what I'm reading and talking with keepers, is they're a little bit more on the timid side and the shy shy side. Uh, usually if they are scared, they're going to go the other direction, usually quickly. Uh, and at least this is in the wild. Under human care, I think it's probably somewhat similar unless it's a male in rut or during breeding season or something like that. The little that the researchers know is that they do like to be in herds, which is, that's pretty similar to almost any antelope. Uh, but they're seldom in large groups. You're not going to see hundreds of them. Well, shoot, for the uh, eastern or mountain, there are barely are hundreds of them. But mm-hmm. the herd sizes are going to range usually from like five to maybe 50 individuals, uh, just depending on where they live and what time of year it is. And males in general are solitary, but they also, once again, depending on the species and where they live, they will, or the time of year, of course, the seasonality of it, uh, they'll sometimes be present in the herd. So I don't think that we exactly know all of their patterns and movements like we would for some of the other hoofstock species. But a lot of my understanding is that they do have complex social interactions, even though they live in these dense forests of Africa. Mm -hmm. And anybody that's worked with hoofstock in general, antelopes, deer, horses, things like that, uh, rhinos, I mean, they're, they have a lot of social interactions. They can talk to each other without using vocalizations. Yep, yeah, they can no use yep. their body uh, and just the kind mom of, look. Didn't we talk about that? The mom look. Yes, <laughs> they can like, do. Yes, yes, they yes, can yes. do some some serious mom looks or some serious just you know move yeah. an ear one way or pick up a hoof another way, and that tells the other creature what they're thinking. And so mm-hmm. they think that they're these networks or these herds they do live in probably have a lot more complexity to it than just what we know so far. And so although John says they don't make a vocalization, I think that's in general, they communicate more either tactile through touching one another or through visual, like penning the ears back or raising a a foot or something. Uh, But they can emit something called a bleat, which I guess I think of a sheep when I think of a bleat. Mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. it's mostly it's mostly grunts and snorts. Um, females might have a, a little low moaning or mooing contact when caring for their young, which makes me fall in love with them even more. I definitely I'm a big cooer at my kids when they're little yeah, yeah. and my pets. Oh, my gosh. So that's just super endearing to me. Uh, they just keep getting more charming. I, I mean, I imagine you're right. Like a, a lot of some of the stuff we, we've seen having them under human care, you know, it's, it's got to see some of those interactions in the wild would just be like, oh my goodness, it would be amazing to, to see it. Ugh. So maybe one day we'll have to have uh, Dr. Shusi back, you know, when she's out there, we're looking at her forest elephants and talking about all the other species that, that she, she gets to witness, you know, with the gorillas coming by and some of the other stuff she mentioned in that interview. So as far as repro, I mean, you know, I still think of a copy is amazing. So now you have another species. 
in the Congo, you know, finding them, how long is gestation? It, it, it's, you know, generation intervals, stuff like that. What are we looking at with the bongo? Well, Chris, what first struck me is their similarity to cows and maybe a little bit different from some of the smaller antelope species. Just to skip forward, their gestation period is nine and a half months, which okay. is a long time. It's what humans are eight and a half to nine months. So it, it really is a, a good time and a good amount of prepartum, I guess, maternal nutrition suck, right? Like they gotta, mm-hmm. they, they've got to carry this, this calf for a long, long time. And they usually only give birth to one. Uh, because of the large size. And I don't know if any twins have been reported. And just like any hoofstock or cows or horses, uh, the calves, they come out not not that big anywhere from like you know 50 to 90 pounds, depending on the female and all this and that, but they grow rapidly. So uh, they nurse a lot and they start eating grass pretty soon thereafter. And and their cute little horn buds start growing at about three and a half months. So they are not born with horns, which mm-hmm. the mothers are very grateful of. Trust me. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always uh, – I'm, I'm more familiar with horses, so I can only speak on horses. But I horses' foals are born with hooves, of course, because they need mm-hmm. them because they run really quickly. And I'm sure all mm-hmm. hoofstock is like that. But, but at least I know on horses, they've figured it out. So they actually have like a cap, like a gelatinous cap mm-hmm. over their hoof when they're born – which is probably very helpful to mom passing four of those through the birth canal. Uh, And so then that kind of gelatinous tissue or whatever it is falls off, dries up and falls off shortly after birth, which I always think is Mm -hmm. so, um, so it's a genius plan. Just to jump in here is, I mean, the dork that we, that we are (laughs) three pro, they do lead with, they should lead with their, their two front hooves. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Nose in between both of them. So right. So yeah, imagine so yeah, that yeah. coming down the pipes if there was hooves involved. Yeah, like yeah, if they, yeah, if they yeah, weren't yeah, covered yeah. in the gelatinous. I, there's probably a scientific name for it. I'm just for, I'm forgetting all that information. Mm-hmm. But so I would imagine, of course, with bongos, it's somewhat similar because they they have hooves and so, mm-hmm. but they don't have horns and those start growing a little bit later. And of course, the young are going to be with the maternal group with the females and hang out with them for a while. Um, Basically, until they reach sexual maturity after a couple of years and they are ready to then go off. It, the females will stay with their moms typically, mm-hmm. but and that herd uh, that they're born into, but the males will, of course, go off. And basically, the males tend to avoid each other uh, once again, unless it's, unless it's breeding season. But from what we can tell is that they're not really fighters. They're just a timid, shy, sweet little creature. Even when the males bump into each other, they're kind of like, oh, we'll spar a little bit with our horns. Mm-hmm. But oh, okay. It's more it's more ritualized than mm-hmm. like a serious fight. Where if you've gone on YouTube and you've seen two male deer during oh, rut go at it, it is yeah. they are serious about it. it that is yeah. a that's what we call a fight. Uh but uh, the bongo, it's more of a kind of like, okay, well, you can have her. No, you take her. Okay, whatever. <laughs> you know, it, it's not. It's uh, there's a lot more, a lot more visual displays going on. Probably snorting, bulging their necks, rolling their eyes, things like that. Instead of actually, they don't they don't really want to fight, basically. And the males are, like I said, they're usually just going to hang out unless until it's time to then meet another female. And Chris, more to my point about how they're just one of the most amazing antelopes that I've never met that I want to meet and hang out with, uh, that the males, when they, when it is breeding time and they're full of testosterone in this rut, uh, they're still like gentle, they're gentle giant lovers, if you will. And what I mean by that is the males typically don't have to like coerce or restrict or do anything aggressive with the females in order to breed them. Whereas other antelope species, the males can sometimes be a little bit rough with the females. And so I just, once again, they're just gentle giants. They're my kind of guys. I want a bongo. I know I will never have one, nor should I. I need to just, I need, I need to just go to Africa and see them and help conserve them in the wild. Well, Chris, it's funny as I'm like thinking about this and talking about the males and how they're like 
really nice with the females. And if the females don't want to breed, they don't like box them in. They're just like, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, do mm-hmm. do your own thing, sweetie, whatever. It's totally John and I's relationship. He's yeah. always said, like, he's like, he's like, Angie, like, I know that I could never like win you by like boxing you in. Like, I can never like put you in a box. He's like, my <laughs> only goal in life is just to like kind of help corral you or like herd you from not doing tons of crazy stuff but i i can't yeah, yeah, you know yeah, he'll, he'll yeah. never he'll never put me in a box he lets me do my own wild things and go to africa by myself and just be me which is why he's so amazing but i'm like wow mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. that's why i love him he's like a bongo you know <laughs> he doesn't box you in yeah he doesn't he doesn't, he doesn't he, he's a gentle no guy why he loves him so much it's, i know it's a spirit animal that's right John's spirit animal totally is the bongo. totally so, so we'll dedicate this episode to john yes sure. and ariel that's his first love <laughs> ariel, and i'm okay yeah. with that that's fine yeah he said it was a, it would be a tough pick between you and him <laughs> and that's i respect him i love him more for being honest <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we get to the organization, which is an amazing one you got covered, real quick, conservation tip of the week. Again, I've mentioned this, I think, with mountain gorillas, but put this in your head. Recycle your cell phones, okay? Everybody needs to recycle their cell phones because when the primary minerals extracted in the Congo is coltan, and it's it's heavily mined there. It's one of the only sources on earth of coltan, so... It has, is having an impact on wildlife there, which would include the bongo. So, you know, the, the other thing is, and especially with, you know, with COVID and everything that's going on around the world, do you really need to upgrade that cell phone every year? No. Do you? No. No. no and they just keep don't. getting bigger. Like, it's like you're- And ta- more expensive. Yeah. They're you're like, just like, you're like talking on this huge, I saw a new ad for one that's like, it like it's the two screens. It basically folds yeah, in half, folds, and then unfolds yeah. into basically like a laptop. Yeah, yeah. no, I no. don't want to talk you on a laptop need... on the phone. No, the the upgrades are very minimal. I mean, the cameras are getting better. I get, I give you that, but you really don't need to upgrade year after year after year. And but you know, it's just recycle your cell phones. You can go and wipe your data. You know, remove all that stuff, and that way we're reusing the coltan and all the electronics in there. But Angie, Organization of the Week, who we got? So yeah, Chris, this week we're going to highlight the Bongo Surveillance Project, which is awesome. Not only is it talking about antelope conservation, which is awesome because it's not only talking about antelope conservation in Africa, it specifically works to protect bongos and so we'll put it up on our show notes but they have a brilliant facebook page at bongo surveillance project otherwise uh on the internet you can find them at www.mountainbongo.org and the objective of the bongo surveillance project is to protect and conserve the critically endangered eastern or mountain bongo and its habitat and they do this by working with the local communities nearby and having worldwide stakeholders. So having a lot of input from different organizations. And it's this organization has been around for a while and it's recognized for its unique ability to go out into the field and basically transform these different local communities through education and conservation and all sorts of projects. And its base is in Kenya, which is of course the habitat that they reside in, the ones that are left, the mountain bongos. Uh, and was founded in 2004. So it's been around for a while. Uh, and the founder's name is Mike Predeljohn. And he basically has a lifetime working in the forests of Kenya and has obviously a love for bongos and wanting to save them after realizing that, well, they're becoming critically endangered. And just like any project or nonprofit, in order for it to grow, you need partners. And the Bongo Surveillance Project has been recognized locally, internationally. Uh, it's been supported by WAZA, which is the World Association for Zoos and Aquariums. And they just have tons of different supporters, the IUCN, um, a lot of groups in Kenya, a lot of other international groups as well, uh, Rare Species Conservation Foundation, Tusk Trust, Tusk Trust, that's hard to say. <laughs> but of course, that's the one that helps protect elephants. So a lot of partners fight, fighting for these guys and trying to 
keep them in their natural habitat in Kenya and keep the numbers growing by educating people and by protecting the habitat that they're found in. That's amazing. It's good work. You know, again, another species we cover and there's people out there fighting for it. So amazing job. I know. It made me so happy. I was like, nobody cares about the bongo. Uh, I was like, no. And then I, I, I'm like, oh, yes. They do. John and I aren't the yeah, only I know, ones. I know. Uh, all right. Amazing podcast, Angie. I know we have a lot of good stuff coming. A lot of good stuff. We've got a good episode coming up with our friend Corbin. And we've got some special interviews in the works. And next month is going to be spooky, spooky animals. We've got some good, good lineup for October. Yeah, it should be fun. And as always, we appreciate any emails or Facebook likes. We also have an all creatures Facebook group where lots of discussions go on and a lot of good articles are shared. And so um, it really helps keep you on your toes with what's happening uh, with conservation. And so we always want to hear from you. So reach out if you have a favorite species that you want us to cover or a suggestion of an organization that you'd like to have us interview on the podcast. It's uh, In order for us to save these animals, it's going to take our whole village. You guys are conservation heroes just by listening and sharing and loving and learning. And so we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. Listen, learn, share. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.